from the Kramer Basketball Headquarters in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. You are listening to the Coach's Edge Podcast, powered by Coach. Here is your host, Steve Kramer. Big thank you to Coach Dr. Tim Rice for being on the Coach's Edge Podcast. As we get throughout this episode, he gives some great examples of how we can incorporate sports psychology, asking questions into our basketball practices, how this can look in some of our drills, scrimmaging, free throw competitions, things of that nature. So I really hope you enjoy this episode and how so much of what we do applies on the court to off the court and then off the court into on the court. Thanks again to Coach Rice. Let's get to the show. like to welcome the doctor. Dr. Tim Rice to the Coach's Edge podcast. Um, Coach Rice has maybe the most unique resume of, you know, we can put it up there with anybody that we've had on the Coach's Edge podcast with some of the things that he's he continues to do that he's done in the past, been involved in some capacity of the game since 1988, which was a while ago, Coach. That was a while ago, and he, he's still going strong and uh, nationally and internationally with some of the things that he provides and the services he provides from a cult, uh, consulting standpoint with coaches as well. So just a couple of things, coach, and you can fill in some of the blanks here um, before we start rolling with our topic of how we can start to interweave the sports aspect of psychology into some of our basketball practices, things we do on and off the court, which this is a topic that's not talked about enough, but to, to lay a foundation for some of your, your background. But before we get into anything else, I got to apologize to you. I've been meaning to have you on the show for like a year, probably. Like for some reason you've been in my mind and I'm like, I got to ask him, I got to ask him. So we met like four or five years ago and I never did. So hey, there's a, there's a time for everything. Thank you for being on the Coach's Edge podcast. Well, after what you said, man, it's amazing what a kid from South Alabama trailer house came uh, <laughs> became. Um, thank you, Steve, for having me on. It's uh, truly an honor to to speak about something I'm very passionate about. Really, several things. Well, you know, obviously basketball, sport leadership, and of course the sports psychology side of things. Um, I, uh, as I mentioned, I'm a Alabama native. Uh, I was born and raised in Alabama. I'm uh, my hometown is Robertsdale, Alabama, which is just across the bay from Mobile, Alabama. For anyone that's ever been to Gulf Shores, Orange Beach, uh, that's about 20 minutes south of where I grew up. Um, I've I've had a, a pretty interesting journey. I, I can't um, I don't know how in the world it ever happened. Uh, I I suppose opportunity. You know, I, I think one of the things that people don't always think about is the word opportunity. They don't think about how something can be just laid in your lap and you have a choice to take it or not. Um, You have a choice to be the best version of yourself or not. And for me, uh, I've always been um, someone who has tried to take opportunity by both hands, grab it and do the best I can with it. Um, it doesn't mean I'm perfect by any stretch. Uh, but you know, I, I was fortunate in 1988 to, uh, I was a knucklehead in high school. Uh, and after high school, I went to junior college, not to say that junior college kids are knuckleheads, but I certainly was. 
um, at Enterprise State Junior College, now Enterprise State Community College in Enterprise, Alabama. I live with my dad, Bill Rice, and my stepmom, Carol Rice, and their family during those two years. But I was in a bowling class in the summer of 1988. Ironically enough, I was a studio art major when I started college. Nice, nice. And uh, ended up, I just didn't think that was going to ever do uh, well for me. So I was always interested in potentially going into sports, uh, athletics, physical education, whatever. So I talked to the basketball coach, who's a bowling teacher, Sid Elliott. <laughs> and I said, hey, you know, are there any scholarships for physical education majors? Going to think about changes. Like, no, we don't have those. But we do have scholarships for athletics. And, uh, you know, we have what I said, what sports do you have? We had basketball and baseball. And I said, do you have track and field? Because I was a really strong track and field athlete in high school. He's like, no, we don't. And I said, well, I'm I'm certainly not good enough to get a scholarship on either of those other two teams. He's like, but we also have manager scholarships. And I said, really? And he's and I said, yeah, I, I was a, a manager in seventh and eighth grade in, in school for the varsity uh, football and basketball teams. And he's like, yeah, you know, if you'd like it, uh, I'd love to have you on board. And I said, oh, okay, cool. And I said, what, how much is a scholarship? Oh, it's a full ride. Mm, nice. And so wow. I got a full ride for two years to be the manager at Enterprise State Junior College for a guy who played for Ray Mears uh, at Tennessee. Uh, Sid Elliott's a mentor for me. And gosh, he's in, in his 80s now, 81, 82 years old. Um, and uh, yeah, I got my first taste of that in uh, the fall of 1988 and, you know, ended up going to Mobile College and uh, which is now University of Mobile and NAI was there for three years. I ran cross country there uh, three time, all conference, all district runner, ran in three national meets. So I got that opportunity <laughs> and also had the opportunity to be a student assistant mm -hmm. slash manager for Dr. Bill Elder, who's an NAI hall of fame coach, had nearly 600 wins when he retired mm -hmm. Uh, my top mentor is Coach Elder. And, uh, you know, I had three great years learned about how the business of sport management, sport mm -hmm. leadership, mm -hmm. but also running a basketball program. It, he looked at the program we had at Mobile. Uh, we were a nationally ranked NAI program at the time. Uh, and he looked at it from a Division One mindset. He always mm -hmm. said that we did everything in a Division One uh, way. And so I learned about the attention to detail and the discipline that goes into doing that. Uh, when I left there, I, you know, coached high school basketball as an assistant, got my very first coaching job as a sixth and seventh grade B mm -hmm. team boys nice. coach nice. at Faith Academy in uh, Mobile, Alabama. Mm -hmm. Left there, went to Owatonna, Minnesota, and was an assistant men's basketball coach and head cross country coach and sports information director. Uh, for I actually worked with a guy who's an assistant coach at Mobile, Scott Williams. He invited me to come up and, uh, you know, get a meal card and an apartment to do those three things. That's it. Um, so I moved up this way to the upper Midwest um, in 1994 and uh, opportunity grabbed it again and uh, was there for two years. Met my uh, lovely wife, Candy, who uh, tragically passed away almost a year ago, January 27th. Uh, she was the assistant women's basketball coach. I was the assistant men's basketball coach. Sharpest elbows I've ever felt in my gut. <laughs> my, 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 my late wife. Um, but there's another opportunity I grabbed. And, uh, you know, we, during the, after that time at Pillsbury, we lived in Missouri, Massachusetts, 
Pennsylvania, Ohio, Colorado, Texas, mm-hmm. Ireland, and now North Dakota. And uh, we were on a journey of nearly 27 years mm-hmm. of just adventure and trying to climb the ladder in coaching. I, you know, coached, I was a head college coach in basketball um, on the men's side, uh, men's and women's cross country, men's and women's golf, and even one year as a soccer coach at the Bible college level in <laughs> Kansas City, Missouri. I was an AD at that school, Calvary University, uh, for a year and uh, the head men's coach there for two and, you know, been around the block, uh, you being a division three guy, you've probably heard of Williams college. I was insistent there for one year for uh, a legendary hall of fame coach, Harry Sheehy, who went on to become the AD at uh, Williams after the year I worked with him, And uh, also the athletic director at Dartmouth. So, you know, 2015, well, I ended up also uh, working at the division one level for Eric Johnson, who ended up becoming the, the Boston College head women's coach, but at University of Denver for two years. Uh, right after that, I was a high school girls coach in um, Austin, Texas at Regent School of Austin for three years, had a good amount of success there, had some pretty good kids. And then went into a consulting role after that in helping coach, mentor coaches I also, um, uh, we went on our first trip to Ireland in 2015 and, uh, my mentor from a summer camp, I worked in New York state here on Murphy and, and, you know, from 1991 invited us over. He's like, Hey, why don't you come over and spend your 20th anniversary in Ireland? And I'm like, <laughs> sure. Grab the opportunity. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, went over there and fell in love. We were there for two months, had a mar- remarkable trip for our 20th anniversary in 2015. And right after that. We um, we came home, but on the way home, we put in, right before we left, a proposal to come back. And mm-hmm. we volunteered for the rest of the school year of 2015-2016 in Ireland at St. Mary's College Galway, which is a boys secondary school that Kieran was the principal over. And uh, that's kind of where all the Irish basketball connection started. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've worked with a number of teams over there, especially with clubs. Uh, I've done a lot of training with clubs. I was fortunate um, back in April of 2022 to open for Drew Hanlon in the clinic that mm-hmm. uh, we we both had in uh, Killarney in County Kerry, uh, Ireland. And so, you know, uh, as you mentioned, I'm I teach and I'm over the doctor psychology program at University of Arizona Global Campus. Uh, it's the online arm of uh, the University of Arizona out of tucson arizona it's crazy i can do that from west fargo north yeah no kidding (laughs) yeah and uh so yeah i mean uh, i'm excited about uh a lot of the things that i'm doing but also the things that i've done um i just i think one a great way you know to think about it is when opportunity comes your way even if you're not getting paid a cent a cent you know you, you if you're in a position to get better from it grab it by both hands. Let's ride. That's how I look at it. Yeah. No, I mean, there's so many good takeaways. I love hearing people's story, their background. And, you know, if I, if I'm listening right now, I'm thinking number one, all right, 1988. So I'm no mathematician. That's about 35 years though. Right. That you've been involved in coaching in some way, shape or form. And as a listener to hear the, the joy, Right. To hear to hear the hunger, to hear the love of the game in your voice as you share these experiences is really awesome. And then to our younger coaches that are listening, the message of a lot of times we want to skip skip steps. 
you want to jump to college coaching. You want to jump to, okay. I mean, you're working, you're, you're telling about the next trip when you're flying overseas for, you know, to Czech Republic and all, all this different stuff. You want to jump to some of those positions instead of saying, Hey man, my first coaching gig was the sixth and seventh grade, you know, B team. Right. And, and, and it, you know, taking advantage of different opportunities and not necessarily where you're going to end up, but taking advantage of what's right in front of you. I mean, that, that's something that I think we can all apply to wherever we're at in our coaching journey, because if you're listening to this podcast, you love basketball, you love coaching and, and you want to continue to be involved in some way, shape or form for years to come. And you mentioned at the end a little bit of the sports psychology aspect. That's what we're really digging into throughout this, you know, the remainder of this podcast how have you noticed any changes o- over the years, anything that we can do better or that we have, have done better over, you know, your decades of coaching experience in this specific department and then getting into where do we go from here? How can we continue to expand our, our knowledge and understanding of sports psychology men- mentally, emotionally, so that we can set our players and our other coaches up for success? Great question. And I, I kind of want to also uh, add this pertaining to those 35 years. You know, when people go into this business, they think of the glitz and the glamour, putting their suit on, their tie on, walking across to shake the hand of the opposing coach and chat with him or her. You know, the people in the crowd, uh, not many people got the opportunity to play Hope versus Calvin like you did for four years. But that's not real life. Ladies and gentlemen, it's not 35 years of volunteering some, uh, you know, um, now that's not to say there wasn't some of that glitz and glamour, but mostly it was grinding. It was working my rear end off. It was uh, taking extra jobs to be able to do it. Um, And I think that that's one thing I would just like to share with the listeners is that you know, I certainly didn't climb, I didn't land at the top of this mountain, if we want want to call it that. We, you know, it it took a lot of sacrifice. It took a lot of um, uh, mental toughness. We'll talk about that in a second. And it took um, a belief, not, you know, I think that one time, I think there are a lot of times people might have a false belief in what they can do. But, you know, belief, and preparation matters in this industry. And I also think it matters within really connecting sports psychology to anything you do. I'll give you a quick example. You know, I I uh, ran the Dublin Marathon in Dublin, Ireland on October 30th. I'm a distance runner. I'm a marathoner and a half marathoner at nearly 53 years old. Um, so much and, respect right there. Mm. <laughs> well, I stuck it up on the 30th of October, but there's something to be said for it. Uh, I didn't get enough training in to get in. Now there were nearly 20,000 runners in the race and I'd always, it was a bucket list item for me. So I'm like, I'm going to take this opportunity. There we go again. And, uh, you know, I got in on a lottery. So I was one of 5,000 lottery spots. So I'm like, I don't care how much I've trained. I'm going to do it. Well, my training really got me to half halfway, you know, it got me to 13 mile mark. And in my left calf started cramping. I'm like, I'm going to just have to, I'm going to survive the next 13 miles. And it was never a question of, yeah, I'm going to quit. Oh, I hope that I don't cramp up in the right calf or in other parts. It was, I'm going to do it. I'm going to get to the finish line. 
And I did 57 minutes slower than I wanted to, but I finished. And there are a lot of people that go into this business thinking it's going to just be some easy thing. It's not. It's hard. It's a grinder. It's difficult. It doesn't pay very well at the beginning and sometimes never pays well. So, you know, I think anybody that goes into coaching basketball or doing anything in sports needs to understand that there's a 90-10 rule. 90% of the people make 10% of the money and 10% of the people make 90% of the money. So we, we you have to have a love and desire for it. But I just wanted to bring that up before I kind of jumped into uh, the psych side of things. You know, um, to answer your question, one of the biggest things, Steve, that has happened uh, that has been a positive, there are several things, but one thing in particular, and you're going to go, yeah, right, whatever, because you have to vet this stuff, but YouTube, you know, YouTube and, you know, having videos to actually look at, um, l listening to uh, sports psychology experts out there that share specific things, also social media with Twitter and other things to where you can actually get bits and pieces that can help you be able to be the best leader and the best coach you can be. You know, I think the other thing too, when we think about now, a lot of old time, old school coaches um, will look at sports psychology and they'll go, well, it's just a bunch of voodoo. They, they don't think it's useful. And that's been proven to be false in literature and research. Um, there's so much that comes from uh, using sports psychology and you don't have to be a sports psychologist licensed or even a sports psychology professional uh, to be able to use those things. And what I try to do is I try to incorporate or I do incorporate specific elements of sports psychology into practice settings, into training settings to help my players or the players of other coaches and coaches that I work with to be able to understand that you can transfer something that you've learned in a practice or training session to the game setting. And you may not even realize that it was a sports psych thing. And uh, I've certainly got examples I can share about that. Oh, I'd love to hear some. I'd love to hear some examples. I think that's what every coach right now is like. All right, well, what does this? What does this actually look like? So, yeah, sure. feel free. Floor is yours. Yeah. Well, I, you know, there one one particular thing that I like to use is a free throw drill. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, why should you do free throw uh, psychology things? Well, I think it's pretty much a given. All right, Techn technique is one thing. But uh, competitive anxiety and confidence changes many times when you get up to the line. Uh, your your body physiologically, you know, you start your heart starts racing, and um, so I use a a free throw shooting drill where three people in a group, you have your shooter at the free throw line, you have a rebounder, and you have somebody underneath the basket laying flat on the ground looking straight up through the, the basket. Now people are like, that's junk. It isn't. I got it from Steve Lammy, who's uh, uh, going to end up being a Hall of Fame coach at Grove City College in Pennsylvania. I was assistant for him for three years uh, there in Division Three at North Pittsburgh. And what, what you do is the shooter goes up and they take 10 free throws. The rebounder makes sure that they don't let the ball hit the person on the floor, of course. 
but the person that's under the basket looks at the rim, through the rim, up to straight through, and they look and see how small the ball is compared to the rim. Look at each ball go through. And then when they get to 10 and they have your their total makes or whatever, then the rebounder will help up the person off the floor. The shooter will go down and lay down. Person off the floor that was looking up under gets to be the rebounder. The rebounder shoots. And you do it three different people. After each situation, the coach goes up and says, what did you see? Well, the ball's small, the rim's big. And I'm like, so how can you transfer that? And by the way, in the free throws, they're going through an entire, you know, their their ritual, you know, uh, whatever that might be. And I ask them, well, what, what did you see? How will you transfer it to when you shoot? And then the biggest thing is getting players to talk. Coaches these days cannot be just the only people talking. We have to be Socratic in our approach to teaching the game, teaching the game of life, asking open-ended questions, getting folks talking. That's one of the biggest problems, I think, with some coaches is they, they want to be the, the sage on the stage completely, and they don't want to listen to what some young kid, I can tell you, I burned out of coaching in 2006 at the college level. Because I, that's what I became. And so, so going through that, that's one of the things that I do. Um, another thing that I do also relates to free throws. But what it is, it's called pick-me-ups. So imagine, I do this at the end of every practice. Also got this from Steve Lamy. Um, You put the entire team on the baseline under the basket. You have an official at the foul line. That'd be a coach. Assistant coach, typically. Head coach is in the right corner. First person on the left corner runs out to the foul line to take a free throw. Person that, that's the official, the assistant coach, will not give the ball to the player until they say, thank you, sir. Now, a lot of people are like, well, why would you do that? It's going to give you three to five extra points in a ball game for your team if you're nice to the official. Oh, yeah, and all my players, when they went up the foul line, they'd always say, thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. If we can get on the psychological side of the officials, then we have a chance to do okay. So person comes up, first person comes up, I give them the ball. Thank you, sir. They take their free throw. If they make it or miss it, they run to the right line and they slap five with the head coach. But if they make it, then we're good. If they miss it, the next shooter in the left corner has to run out and pick up the person who missed the shot. When they pick that person up, if they make the free throw, then they pick them up and we just keep going. If they miss, then we just do a quick down and back. I'm not a big fan of running uh, without a ball or whatever, but in this thing, we just do a down and back real quick. And then the next person comes up and they have to break that missing streak by making it to pick up their teammates. We do Coach, it all the way. A couple, yeah. couple questions does. Um, so if there's a miss, does the whole team goes down and back? Yeah. Yep. Okay. And the whole team. When you say pick me up, like that that player, so say I take the shot and I miss the shot, I go to the head coach, slap him high five. Yeah. It's, if you miss anyone that shoots is gonna go slap five with the head coach, no matter what, miss or or make. Okay. Pick and then what do I do after that? You just wait in line. So okay, the gotcha. next yeah, so you just keep going through. 
And then the very last year, we have a double or nothing where they go up, they have a chance to make that final shot. If they miss it, they get a chance for a second shot. If they miss a second shot, then we'll do a little bit extra. Like we may put like a, a horse in, can't say the other word anymore. Uh, <laughs> that starts with an S, unfortunately. But, you know, do a horse or whatever, hit the foul line, hit the half line, whatever. And then we always make men, uh, finish with a make. So mm -hmm. the reason why we do that is for starters, we want to help the players that are at the line. When they miss, we want to pick them up emotionally. We want to pick them up psychologically. We want to say, hey, it's okay. We're going to make it next time. Mm -hmm. And I also, when we're doing this, I will when they come up to me, and if I'm the assistant coach in this case, because I'll move it sometimes, and I'll say, what are you thinking right now? I don't want to miss. You can't do that. You know, you have to have positive self-talk when you go to the free throw line. And you have to block out everything on the left, everything on the right. And, um, uh, you know, I'll share this before I go to the next one. There's a great video out there. If anyone's ever seen The Legend of Bagger Vance, it uh, stars Will Smith and, mm -hmm. uh, and uh, oh gosh, I'm trying to remember the next guy. Is it Shia LaBeouf? Is that right? No, not Shia LaBeouf, but um, um, it, it'll come to me in a second. But, but yeah, I know what uh, you're talking about. Yeah, it's a really Will good Smith's movie. In it. yep. Yeah, Will Smith's in it. And um, and so it's, it's about a uh, – Will Smith is a caddy, but it's God. And there's this player, this golfer named Walter Juna, who basically is the best golfer in Savannah in the 20s. He just came back from World War One and is struggling with things. Well, he is Matt competing. Damon. Matt Damon, thank you. Yeah, they. Um, so Matt Damon plays uh, Juna in this, and they're in a competition against two of the greatest golfers at that time, um, and uh, Bobby Jones and Walter Hagen, I believe, mm -hmm. and Savannah. And he goes up to the first tee. And uh, the caddy, you know, Bagger Vance says, what do you see? And he says, I just see a pin out there. He's like, you don't see the field. And he's like, take a look at Bobby Jones. And it goes through this whole thing. Mm -hmm. He's like, he's in the field. Mm -hmm. And that video is an incredible video that you can use, like maybe five minutes at the most that any coach can use to help people block out the left, the right and focus on what has to happen. So uh, I use that with my coaches all the time and my sports psychology students. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The next thing is um, really uh, focusing on, <clears throat> excuse me, there's another thing that I like to do. It's called, it's a, a full court, uh, it's basically a scrimmage drill called- um, well, Let me interrupt you first before yeah. you get into the scrimmage one because you just gave two free throw examples and I'm always having- coaches ask about free throws in practice and yeah. you know how, how much do you practice free throws some coaches are like well we we you know shoot a bunch at the end other coaches are like we don't practice them at all we haven't noticed the correlation and in your example this is more than getting some free throws up right and yeah. so for our coaches listening that are looking for really beneficial ways to incorporate free throws and really have some of this transfer of not just the repetition of, of getting the shots up, but talking about, as you mentioned, with with the legend of Bagger Vance, the, the mentality, the team aspect, uh, being able to ask questions, which is huge. I think any 
great coach is really good because they ask questions. Um, so give some of these um, free throw drills a try, especially if you're searching for, you know, how to incorporate some of the psychology and free throws in your practice. So that's great stuff, coach. Keep going. Yeah. So another thing that I like to use, and again, I got this from Harry Sheehy at Williams. Um, it's uh, it's called score, stop, scrimmage. <clears throat> so here's how it works. Two teams play. Um, let's just say white teams on offense. Uh, orange team, I, you know, in honor of Steve's alma mater uh, on defense. Um I won't use maroon or. I, I appreciate that. We took yeah. a, so as we're recording this, we took an L, a bad L yesterday to Calvin. <laughs> they actually played last night and, um, oh, you know, it was a bad, it was ugly to watch. Cause I, of course I, I try to watch every hope Calvin game. And um, so it's, we'll be back. We'll be back, but I appreciate the orange and we'll keep the other colors. <laughs> on. So orange and white. So white on offense, orange on defense. So let's just say white scores a basket. In order to get one point for that scored basket, they have to make a stop on the other end. Now, they can't foul. If they foul, the basket's negated. They have to make a stop. So that means if, you know, orange comes down, orange comes down and, and turns it over, throws it out of bounds, that's a point. So it could be a three-point basket. It could be a two-point basket. But the only point you get is one for making the stop on the other end. If it's a situation where there's a foul, I always put the sh uh, the person on the free throw line immediately. Okay, so say Orange has the ball, they're going in, uh, not necessarily an offensive foul, but a defensive foul uh, by White in this case. The Orange player goes to the free throw line. They have to make both free throws to get the point if they make the stop on the other end. If they make one, doesn't matter. Both have to go in. Um, so those are the two things. We normally play to three to four points. And the reason why you do this, for starters, it changes up your practice. It gives, it makes it more lively. It em emphasizes defense and that scoring baskets, you're not going to win ball games by scoring and giving up, scoring and giving up a basket, scoring and giving up a basket, unless you're Grinnell, which I won't get into. Um, but the, if you're focusing on the defensive side, then you have an opportunity to be really good. And if you're in a big game scenario and you're in the last five minutes, let's just say you have a timeout, you could have it in the last, you could have it in the last five minutes of the first half or second quarter. You could have it in the first part of the game, but you can say, look, over the next five minutes, let's win the score stop scrimmage right now. Let's go win it. And you can have an assistant coach keep track of that. And um, I like to do it in a really tight situation. And everybody on the bench is like, score, stop. Let's go, score, stop, score, stop. So it puts it into the mind of the players on the floor. It also puts it into the mind of the players on the bench to go out there and do what's necessary to make the stop. And uh, that's another thing that I like to do. You know, I, I love, I love things that we can do in practice that you can also do in a game. Right. I mean, yeah. And you can, you can also track it and say, Hey, we got, you know, X amount of score stops throughout the course of this game or quarter, the other team got this many. 
as mentioned, you, you know, and you can add different variations. You talked about, you know, how you incorporate free throws. I'm sure there's some, you know, coaches are imaginative, right? And we always kind of take things and make it our own. And so there's a ton of nuggets off of this baseline of score stop scrimmage. I think that coaches, you know, if you're listening, the wheels are turning right now and you're saying, boy, how can I take this as is, or even add some, some tweaks of things that we want to reward from an offensive or defensive standpoint. Yeah. And put that into our scrimmages, especially, you know, this episode will come out in January and, you know, you've been practicing for a couple months already as a high school basketball coach. Some of those practices are like, all right, we're, you know, you're doing the same. You might be scrimmaging the same, but you can keep track different ways. You can emphasize in different ways. And that's a great way to keep, keep things fresh. Um, you mentioned a lot of the the coaches that you've picked uh, things up from. What are some of the things that you've picked up from all of your international experience? Oh, tons. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that is so different um with the international game um is the um it's just there's a different view of the sport outside the united states like most places you go internationally don't have fall winter spring sports seasons they're playing the same sport all year long so each each player that you work with, say like in Ireland, basketball for me, you know, I was working with kids who were playing Gaelic football, hurling, which are traditional sports in Ireland, soccer, rugby, um, and basketball, and that you, they were basically balancing out their practice and training schedules to be a part of that. That's one big thing. The FIBA rules are another thing that are just different than what we're used to in the United States. Um, you know, it's not a, like they're using a different ball from molten. Uh, they're using different uh, rules as far as uh, the, the um, like you can't call timeouts. If a shot goes through the, the net, the ball's dead and you don't have the possession anymore. So you can't call a timeout. So you can't make a three pointer and go timeout, timeout. The ball goes immediately to your opponent. So you got to, you have to change the way that is. Even the substitutions are different. Um, so that's one thing. The other thing in Ireland, for instance, was practice schedule uh, and training sessions were meant hour and 15 minutes long, two days a week. And so I had to superset everything. It made me such a better coach. I wish I would have had that happen earlier in my career. It made me superset drills and things to really get the most out of my training sessions because the kids wanted to play. Now, there are a lot of coaches that want to drill, 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 drill. Oh, then we'll get five minutes of scrimmage at the end. And that's kids. Kids don't want that. I don't if care you behave if and listen, we'll give you a chance to play. Otherwise, we're not going to do it at all. <laughs> That's junk. It's junk. And, you know, kids wanted to play. And I, we played 30 minutes out of an hour and 15 mm -hmm. minutes. So I had to put it in together. Mm -hmm. And uh, we had a lot of success with our kids. You know, uh, my under 15 team at St. Mary's College lost in the national final to St. Malachi's Belfast uh, with C.J. Fulton, who is now the starting point guard at Lafayette. I mean, we, you know, so we had a bunch of kids from all over the world. We had an international team because there are a lot of uh, uh, African uh, folks that have immigrated to Ireland. Mm -hmm. And most of my team were kids from different parts of, uh, they, they've been in Ireland for a little bit, sure. but 
So um, I think the other thing is there's a different passion for the game internationally. You don't necessarily, in my opinion, you don't necessarily see that many. Again, some people may hear this uh, that know me and say, I don't know if I agree with you, Tim, but you don't see many people that are prima donna athletes when you're working. Like when I went to, I go to Moldova a lot. I work with Admiral's Basketball Academy there, uh, which is loosely affiliated with David Robinson. Um, and, you know, I do a lot of work with them. And I was just over this past uh, November um, for almost a week. Um, they're saying, thank you. After practice, I'm coming up to the coach. Thank you, coach. Thank you. Same thing in Ireland. There's a, it's a different viewpoint of the game. Um, there's just, it's not sec segmented. Like we have it in the United States where, Oh, we have American football in the fall. Then we're going right. to go into basketball, then baseball or track, whatever. So it's a, a different. Um, I really Truthfully, I like the FIBA game and the FIBA rules better mm -hmm. than I like uh, what we have here. Um, you know, I won't. And the shot get clock. In. Yeah, you just. I was about to say I'm not going <laughs> to get into the shot clock. Right. We don't have. We don't have to dig into it, but yeah, they, you yeah. know, that's a big difference, obviously. Absolutely. I mean, I have eighth grade kids that are playing the 24 second shot mm -hmm. clock, Steve. Mm -hmm. Seventh grade kids. So, yeah. like, you know, I mean, when we when we see the the take the air out of the ball junk. Uh, here in the United States, um, you know, I mean, you got to do what you got to do, right? And mm -hmm. uh, I'm not trying to offend anyone that, that does that right now that's mm -hmm. listening. But like the international game is more up and down. It's yeah. more up and down. It's a more physical brand of basketball. Uh, the FIBA reps let things go. Um, it, no, it, it's a different uh, brand. And, and that's mm -hmm. the same. And I play master's basketball, Steve, 40 and over. I get thrown around like a rag, a rag doll in those <laughs> games by folks from different parts of Europe. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I took in a 2019, I played the Galway Masters. I just played with my team, uh, Vintage Basketball, this past uh, November over there. I played in a 2019 tournament, took four charges. They gave me one. <laughs> and I can assure you they were all legitimate charges. But, of course, every coach would say that. Sure, sure, sure. Um, that's that's funny. Yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a different game. And, you know, everybody, you know, the, the thing is, everybody I know that's been overseas and coached or played or both, uh, you know, scouted and different types of things has a, a passion for the international game and sees some things. It's like, man, I wish we were doing some of that here in the in the United States, because um, there are a lot of great things that we have going for us in the United States with with the great game of basketball. It's like, boy, if we could just sprinkle in a couple things from uh, the international game and make it, you know, just above and beyond. I think well, some of the combinations that we have. Well, let me just add here and jump in that I would tell anyone that's here in the States, there are countries in Europe that would jump at the chance for anyone to just come over and be part of something just to help. You know, if you're an experienced coach in the United States, even if you're just getting started, I know in Ireland, a lot of the clubs would love to have somebody come over, do a camp and that's the other thing, too, is that, and again, I know people have to make a living. I get it. But, you know, a lot of folks that, you know, I didn't get paid. I barely ever gotten paid for doing work in Ireland and Moldova. I, you know, I just, I give it of my, I give it of myself. And I've had some people like, hey, you got to help me get a camp in Ireland so I can make some money. I'm like, you know what? You don't <laughs> understand that that's not what this is about. Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. this is not about you making money. This is about mm -hmm. you impacting the lives of young people that they'll play the game as they go forward. 
And uh, not to say that people shouldn't make money. I'm just saying that in other parts of the world, you know, money isn't as, you know, we we have an absurdity of riches here in the United States. And, uh, you know, to go over and to even get a t-shirt, you know, is, is a great honor for me. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, as we finish up the podcast, coach, what are, you know, what's, what's one or two of the coolest experiences that you've had, um, especially on the side of, of being an international coach and consultant and scouting and, you know, in, anything that particularly comes to mind. I know a lot of coaches would have some interest in hearing a story or two as we finish this up. Yeah. Um, I think one of the greatest um, things, well, for one, uh, having the chance to actually take a six hour session with the Irish under 16 women's team in 2016 on just defense all day. Mm-hmm. And just feeling like, oh, my gosh, I'm actually coaching a national team right now that this was something I never in a million years growing up in a trailer house in Robertsdale, Alabama, on government cheese, welfare, powdered milk. I never would have thought that that would have ever happened. So that was a huge thing for me. I think uh, another thing, really, um, there are a couple of other things that were involved. um, Well, several other things, but we have... um, Admirals Basketball Academy is a Christian basketball organization based in Keishnell, Moldova. And when my late wife, Candy, and I were over there in November 2019, the leader, Nick Morari, came to me. He's like, hey, is there any way you can help some of my older kids get a chance to go to the United States? So I'm like, I'll see what I come up with. So I incorporated a plan to basically find 550 school emails of Christian schools around the country, 12 different states, Michigan being one of them. And start sending out bios, information. Next thing you know, schools are showing interest. And the first five kids from Admirals that we're going to go over, potentially. And a school in Texas and San Antonio uh, offered almost a full ride to one of the girls. And then there were, <clears throat> excuse me, there were three other boys. No, I'm sorry, four other boys that ended up at Washtenaw Christian Academy in the Ann Arbor area. Uh, and, uh, all of that, that first crew scholarships, uh, were in the neighborhood of, let me do the math here, uh, 140,000. And these kids come from the poorest country in Europe. Now there are 14 kids in the United States from admirals to the tune of over half a million dollars in scholarships awarded, uh, to those young people. I've also helped a couple of people from Ireland that are, are here in the States now, going to be watching one here uh saturday down in mason city iowa neva leary play um and so that has been a huge thing and i didn't get paid a cent for it um it was just something that i felt like i i did a podcast for two years called holding the ladder in sport leadership for anyone who would like to listen to those 77 episodes go check it out um where you find this podcast but um, holding a ladder is something my late wife and I have always tried to do. So holding a ladder for people to climb to greater heights than they ever thought possible, regardless of whether they thank us or not. And so I had the chance to go to Amsterdam to watch the Czechs and the Dutch and to help scout on Thanksgiving Day. Had a Subway sandwich, turkey sandwich, of course, and paprika chips and a strip waffle. <clears throat> and uh, that day um that was really a cool experience and then helping them with uh their game with the netherlands at home 
in late November, which they lost a close ball game to them. I'm going to the Czech Republic uh, in two, three weeks to help out um, in Prague. So that those, but also watching the progression of our Irish program as it continues to climb and get better and better um, and seeing all the young people from Ireland that are ending up in the United States and other parts of Europe, they're playing either college basketball, prep school basketball, or they're playing professionally. Those are some of the big moments. Man, that's, that's really cool. And you know, what continues to move forward throughout this episode with you and so well put is holding ladder. How you're able to help, help other people achieve new heights, get opportunities that they wouldn't have. Like some of those kids, I mean, they may have been able to play at the college level. It doesn't mean you're going to get to play at the college level. You help put them in a position to that. And then, as you mentioned before, um, throughout some of your experiences, when you got an opportunity, you got to take it. You have to make the most of it. And so a ton of great nuggets right there. Coach, this has been awesome. Tell us a little bit more about how our listeners can learn more about you, contact you, follow you, whatever that might be. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I could, uh, I am over the, the doctor of psychology program at University of Arizona Global Campus, but I'm also over a sport and performance psychology area. And uh, so you can reach me at Timothy, T-I-M-O-T-H-Y dot Rice, R-I-C-E. I have to spell that every time. It's been a thing for my whole life. Uh, <laughs> at U-A-G-C dot E-D-U. Um, I wanted to, before I, I let you go, I wanted to just also bring up, I've been involved with Positive Coaching Alliance or PCA in the past. Positive Coaching Alliance, go for anyone listening, go Google them. You can find our webpage. They have incredible uh, resources for coaches that it's all psychology based. So it's not that difficult. You can use these things. And, you know, uh, one thing I wanted to also just share before I let everyone go that the first drill that I shared is called three-person visualization free throws. Just wanted to, because I failed to mention that. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, you can reach out to me and, and you know, I'm more than happy to chat, uh, offer any kind of suggestions, whatever. But I would say this, that this is an industry of selflessness it's an industry of sacrifice. And when coaches get to a place where they get out of their own way, take it from somebody that didn't. And, uh, you know, when we talk about sports psychology, coaches burn out at a high rate. So take care of your mental health, take care of these things, meditate, do the things you need to do. Um, and know that there are gonna be times where things are gonna stink you're going to have things happen. My gosh, I never would have expected on January 27th, 2022, that my wife would die. Mm -hmm. Like, so being able to try to take care of myself after that. Yeah. It's important as a coach to take care of yourself, mm -hmm. be somebody that cares about your family and then make basketball the right. next thing. Right. Because uh, I, I just think that there are too many people that get into this. You and I know uh, we have a lot of cautionary tales out there of people that get divorced, lose mm -hmm. their relationships. Yeah. This is a business of sacrifice and selflessness. You're going to work a lot of hours. I get it. Mm -hmm. But always remember that you can continue to get better. Listen, in 2006, if somebody had said, hey, 2016, you're going to start working. In 10 years, you're going to be working with the uh, – 
the Irish national program. I would have said, you're absolutely high. You're crazy. <laughs> That's never going to happen. I got my rear end kicked at Hiram College for three years. I'm not that good. But like, we have to be in a position where we believe in ourselves, and the best way to close mm-hmm. it, grab the opportunity that's in front of you and always focus on the people you're working with. If we can do that in this industry, we have a good chance to go a long way. It's not about, it seriously isn't about me as a coach. When coaches get out of their own way, they can have a long, healthy relationship with the game and with those they coach. Mm-hmm. Can't say it any better than that. We're, we're finishing it right there. Thank you for listening to the Coach's Edge podcast. Dr. Tim Rice, thank you for being a guest on the show. This was awesome. You're welcome back anytime. And to our listeners, get after today.